Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, we'll hear from Jana Levin, a physicist who sees science as a powerful force in culture. Later, we'll explore the latest research on the evolution of loneliness. Astrophysicist and author Jana Levin has two main offices. One is at the Barnard College of Columbia University, where she's a professor. The other is a studio space at Pioneer Works, a center for art and innovation in Brooklyn. At the studio space, Levin works alongside artists and musicians as the director of sciences. Beneath the rafters on the third floor of the former ironworks factory, her studio looks like a speakeasy. There's a bar lined with stools, a piano, a trumpet, and a wall bearing a mathematical description of a black hole spinning in a magnetic field. Whether Levin is writing words or equations, she finds inspiration just outside her window. There's a giant cloth and paper tree trunk hanging from the ceiling, almost to the factory floor three stories below. At Pioneer Works, Levin runs a residency program for scientists and holds informal office hours for artists. She also hosts Scientific Controversies, a popular discussion series with a disco vibe. Here she is speaking about the studio space, physics, and writing. Pioneer Works is a center for art and events and science. Uh, it's really um, just an open, spirited place where everybody brings to it what they have to offer. When I first came to Pioneer Works, I was a scientist in residence and I was finishing a book on black holes. And people couldn't really understand why I would come to write a science book at this art space where it was loud and noisy and dusty and people were working and exhibits were coming and going. But for me, it was this perfect distraction. And I would be so inspired watching the exhibits come and go. And it really helped me kind of find a tone and a pace and a way to focus on my own seemingly unrelated work. So most of the time, I really am doing hardcore scientific research. I mean, my work is very theoretical. I'm very interested in black holes. I'm interested in gravitational waves, the shape of space-time, whether extra dimensions can trap dark energies. It's very abstract theoretical, mathematical physics, but then when I'm writing, I feel like it's something totally different. When I'm writing, I'm thinking about the pace and energy of a story. It's, it's different, but the content is still usually very scientific. I love these conceptual ideas and the, and the sense in which the abstract concepts can really shape and structure a story. Lately, Levin has been developing the theory of an astrophysical object she calls a black hole battery. This is a circuit created by a black hole and an orbiting neutron star that discharges in a sudden flash of electricity, like a lightning strike in deep space. Her latest book called Black Hole Blues and Other Songs from Outer Space was rushed into print at the end of March. It covers the history of the LIGO experiment from its conception in the 1960s to its recent detection of ripples in space-time coming from the distant merger of two black holes. The New York Times book review called Levin a writer who, quote, harmonizes science and life with remarkable virtuosity. For more on this story, read Jana Levin's Theory of Doing Everything at quantummagazine.org. And now, an evolutionary theory to explain the importance of loneliness. 
As social animals, we depend on others for survival. We support and protect each other, helping our communities endure and thrive. John Kachapo, a social scientist at the University of Chicago, said, We've survived as a species not because we're fast or strong, but because of social protection. Early humans, for example, could take down large mammals only by hunting in groups. But how did these communities come to exist in the first place? Kachopo proposes that the root of social ties comes from loneliness. According to his theory, the pain of being alone motivates us to seek the safety of companionship. This in turn benefits the species by encouraging group cooperation and protection. Loneliness persists because it provides an essential evolutionary benefit for social animals. Like thirst, hunger, or pain, loneliness is a state that animals seek to avoid, improving their long-term survival. If Kachopo's theory is correct, then there must be a biological mechanism that compels isolated animals to seek companionship. Something in our brains must make it feel bad to be alone and bring relief when we're with others. Researchers at MIT think they've found the source of that motivation in a group of neurons in a part of the brain called the dorsal raphe nucleus. Stimulating these neurons drives isolated mice to find friends, according to recent research published in the journal Cell. The finding provides support to Kachopo's theory and illuminates a connection that links specific structures in the brain to social behavior. The new study was the first to link specific neurons to loneliness. It's part of a growing effort to map the genetics of social behavior and its underpinnings in the brain. Together, Kachapo's work and the new findings from MIT are helping to move loneliness from the realm of psychology and literature to biology. The big question isn't why loneliness is painful, said Steve Cole, a genomics researcher at UCLA. Rather, it's how our brain is set up to move us out of that lonely state. Instead of thinking about loneliness, we could think about social affinity. Jillian Matthews stumbled across the loneliness neurons by accident. In 2012, she was a graduate student at Imperial College London studying how cocaine changes the brain in mice. She would give the animals a dose of the drug, place each one alone in a cage, and then examine a specific set of its neurons the next day. She did the same for a control group of mice, injecting them with saline instead of cocaine. When Matthews returned to her mice 24 hours later, she expected to see changes in brain cells of the cocaine-dosed mice, perhaps a strengthening of neuronal connections that might help explain why cocaine is so addictive. To her surprise, both the drug-treated mice and the control mice showed the same changes in neuronal wiring. Overnight, the connections onto a certain set of cells had grown stronger, regardless of whether the animals were given drugs or not. Matthews, now at MIT, said at first they thought there was something wrong or that they had mixed up the procedure. The brain cells she was interested in produced dopamine, a brain chemical typically associated with pleasurable things. Dopamine surges when we eat, have sex, or use drugs, but it does more than signal pleasure. The brain's dopamine systems may be set up to drive the search for what we desire. It's not what happens after you get what you want, Cole said. It's what keeps you searching for something. The researchers focused on dopamine neurons in a brain region called the dorsal raphe nucleus, best known for its link to depression. Most of the neurons there produce serotonin, the chemical messenger that drugs such as Prozac act on. Dopamine-producing cells make up roughly 25% of the region and have been difficult to study, so scientists know little about what they do. Matthews thought other environmental factors during the experiment might have triggered the changes. She tested to see if simply moving mice to new cages altered the dopamine neurons, but that couldn't explain the effect. 
Ultimately, Matthews and her colleague Kay Tai realized that these brain cells were responding to the 24 hours of isolation, not to the cocaine. Mice, like humans, are social creatures that generally prefer to live in groups. Isolate a mouse from its cage mates, and once confinement ends, it will spend more time interacting with other mice, more than if it had been with its mates all along. To better understand the role dorsal raphe neurons play in loneliness, the researchers genetically engineered the dopamine cells to respond to certain wavelengths of light. They could then artificially stimulate or silence the cells by exposing them to light. Stimulating the dopamine neurons seemed to make the mice feel bad. Mice actively avoided stimulation if given the choice, just as they might avoid physical pain. The animals also appear to enter a state of loneliness. They acted like they had been alone, spending more time with other mice. Matthew said she thinks this reveals something about how our brains may be wired to make us social creatures and to protect us from the negative effect of loneliness. Cachopo first formally proposed his evolutionary theory of loneliness a decade ago. Strong support comes from the fact that our sensitivity to loneliness is heritable, like height or risk of diabetes. About 50% of an individual's level of loneliness can be tied to their genes. If loneliness was really bad, it would have been bred out, so it must be adaptive, said Louise Hockley, a psychologist at the University of Chicago. She said the evolutionary theory for loneliness forms a very coherent story about how loneliness might have come to exist. Indeed, like diabetes, people have varying degrees of susceptibility to loneliness. What's being inherited is not loneliness. It's the painfulness of the disconnection, said Ketchupo. He's now trying to nail down the specific genes linked to loneliness with studies of tens of thousands of people. In evolutionary terms, it's helpful for a population to have some variability in this trait. Some members of a community would be so pained by disconnection that they are willing to defend their village, Kachapo said. Others are willing to go out and explore, but hopefully still have enough of a connection to come back and share what they found. Mice also show this variability. In Matthew's experiments, the most dominant mice show the strongest reaction to having their loneliness neurons stimulated. At those times, the highest-ranking animals search out companionship more than animals on the lowest rungs of the social ladder. These mice also avoid stimulation of the loneliness neurons in the first place, more than the lower-ranking members, suggesting that the dominant mice find it more unpleasant. The lowest-ranked mice, in contrast, didn't seem to mind being alone. Perhaps they enjoyed isolation, being free of their harassers. Ty and Matthew's findings suggest that these dorsal raphe nucleus neurons help resolve the disconnect between the social connection level the animal has and the level it wants. Imagine loneliness as a desire for ice cream. Some animals love ice cream and some don't. The dopamine neurons drive the ice cream lovers to seek out the dessert, but have little effect on everyone else. Matthew said researchers think the dorsal raphe nucleus neurons are tapping into the social experience of the mouse. But they only produce a significant effect on the behavior of mice who perhaps previously valued their social connection rather than those that don't. The varying reaction suggests two possibilities. Either neural wiring determines social rank, 
or social rank influences how neurons get wired. Perhaps some animals are wired from birth to crave social contact. These animals then seek out others and become aggressive as they try to maintain their position in the group, eventually attaining top status. Alternatively, certain mice may start out with an aggressive personality, picking on other animals in their group. The brain wiring in these animals might change as a result, driving the mice to seek out others to bully. Ty and Matthews are planning additional experiments to distinguish those two possibilities. Ketchopo said he almost fell over when he saw Ty and Matthews' results. He's done research on loneliness in humans using brain imaging to identify parts of the brain that are active when people feel lonely. But brain imaging has a coarse resolution and can't analyze specific cell types like Ty and Matthews did in mice. Ty and Matthews' research helps to reframe loneliness from a state of despair to a motivational force encoded in our biology. Instead of focusing on the aversive state of being alone, the study looks at how social contact gets rewarded in the nervous system, Cole said. Then loneliness becomes understandable as a lack of reward. That was a recap of Emily Singer's story, New Evidence for the Necessity of Loneliness. You're listening to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. I'm Karen Chikurji. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell us what you think and leave a review in iTunes. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. 